Welcome everyone to this episode of Green Talks. We are back to talk about research on sustainable and smart separation process engineering in the chemical industry. I'm Thomas Setsche, your student host once again from GreenHub Twente. Today we can welcome Professor Dr. Engineer Bulo Schur, who will talk about his specific research and much more related to SDGs. Mr. Bulo is a professor of separation technology in process and catalyst engineering, with key research in development and sustainability of separation process in chemical operations. Some applications may include biorefinery and spherical economy as key topics. Thank you, Bulo, for accepting our invitation. Could you please tell us about your academic background, um, what a separation technologist is, and uh, what is your research focusing on? Yeah, thank you very much for the invitation uh, to start with. Um, yeah, as a as a separation technologist, uh, I was trained as a as a chemical engineer in general, and um, I, I received my training in uh, Groningen at the University of Groningen, uh, with a very broad basis, uh, a lot related to chemistry. Um, and I also say always I'm a chemical engineer with a capital C in, in comparison to other chemical engineers who are maybe more related to mechanical engineering. Mm-hmm. And so our field is a, is a field with connections to biology, to chemistry and to mechanical engineering. And in, in that field, I am more close to the chemistry than, than to the real, um, let's say, uh, materials uh, use for equipment building and, and those kind of things. So I look a lot into development of new molecules and, and how to separate uh, certain molecules that are maybe typically not so easily uh, separated. And so how to solve different uh, separation challenges. Starting in Groningen, I, I moved to Eindhoven and spent a bit of time in the in the US and um, then came back and in 2011 I moved to uh, to Twente. And uh, since 2011, I develop here projects and run projects mm-hmm. on, on separation technology with a, with a wide variety of applications. And I think that is the key. For me, there is not just one field of application, and I don't do in a very limited scope my work, mm-hmm. but I try to apply the same separation principles for, uh, for uh, numerous fields, including textiles or uh, bulk chemicals or fine chemicals or... Uh, water treatment and and I think that by doing different subjects you can also learn and take something over the the borders of a certain field and then bring new ideas into a field that is helping them to become more sustainable. Yeah, we love to hear about perspectives and bringing ideas and innovation together. I do want to stress out that you were a visiting researcher at MIT in the US and in uh, Lisbon. So yeah, big congratulations to that. And you have been working at the UT since 2011. That's quite a long time. (laughs) Yeah, well, that is basically uh, uh, after uh, walking around in Mm -hmm. different areas uh, of the the world. well, not so much, actually. I was in the U.S. and in Lisbon for uh, both of them for a relatively short period of time. Uh, mm-hmm. I spent longer time in Eindhoven. Uh, um, but basically, if you found the position where you can grow, where you where you are in a in a good place, where the people take care of you, and where uh, where you are also able to care about people, and um, within a research group where uh, you really can do what you think is making a difference, then there's no need to move. Wow, making a difference, so inspirational. 
All right. So before we go a bit more deep into sustainability and what separation process is, I mean, you already kind of explained the importance and what you really do. But I want to ask you this this very question. What is your most unsustainable guilty pleasure? <laughs> well, um, I drive a two liter turbocharged uh, engine in my in my car I, uh, <laughs> I still don't have an electric car <laughs> not yet <laughs> and, and when I'm driving it in Germany I also like to speed and it, it is emitting okay. a lot of CO2 yeah <laughs> yeah 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 you like to separate yourself <laughs> from the other from the slow goers very nice very nice okay well uh, we're gonna hear uh, why why you chose sustainability as as your interest and uh, what motivated you to explore the sustainable side of separation process engineering so yeah tell us tell us about your motivation in bringing innovation into into this crucially unsustainable industry well i think the most important step is that if you if you decide for a career in academia then you decide for a career not maintaining what is there Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, if you if you are a maintenance engineer in in an oil company, uh, you try to to keep drilling oil as long as possible, right? If you choose your career in academia, uh, usually the drive is to uh, to contribute to new technology development. And at the moment that I started my career, uh, it was already making processes more energy efficient. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe in the very beginning. And that not necessarily was directly related to CO2 emissions. Yeah, because the, there was way before the, the Paris Agreement. Um, and and uh, the world was still thinking that the oil reserves were dwindling, um, but not necessarily considering that also the CO2 emission that is related to um, use of oil as a, as a source for, uh, for all our products uh, is, is very important. Um, at that time... Yeah, the, the dwindling oil reserves that are actually not so much dwindling. Eh? There is enough oil to continue for many years. Yeah, so that is not a problem at all. Uh, the real problem is that uh, if, we, if we look at where are all our carbon atoms, then uh, we are shifting more and more carbon atoms from deep under the soil into the atmosphere. Or carbon uh, in, in, in the form of CO2 Um, mm -hmm. It's probably also ending up uh, in, in the sea at some point. Uh, there is an equilibrium between the sea and, uh, and the atmosphere. And that is something that nowadays many people are very concerned about. That's, that's shifted a bit. And so when I was younger, um, you could say that becoming more energy efficient is a way to, to be cheaper. Yeah. And when I was a student even, one of my professors uh, told us as students... And there is three things important in, in chemical engineering. Yeah? And uh, one is money. And the second is money. And the third is money. Is also money. Right? And so yeah. everything is uh, expressed in, in uh, at that time still, uh, guilders, but nowadays in euros. Um, and still you could argue that for big companies, uh, if you don't make a profit, also for small companies, if, you, if you're in industry and you don't make a profit, then um, it's very hard to sustain. Right? So that is one aspect that we should not forget. But at the same time, there's a shift in, in attention. And, and over the years, what you do is you just grow with the field uh, 
that's not necessarily following the field, but maybe the the more you are into it and the more you you feel what are the the powers that are uh, involved, you try to lead the field and lead the pack and and guide industries and other universities, maybe university professors or or younger mm-hmm. researchers into the science that you think is helping uh, to reduce CO2 emissions and, and helping to reduce emissions in general. Yeah, so the, the impact or let's say the importance of sustainable changes is very important for you now compared to maybe your childhood. And you're trying also to drive the shift and we're going to talk about that. How do you try to represent yourself to drive the shift to, to sustainability and circularity as well? Thank you for answering this question. Uh, to me, it's very clear where does sustainability come into your life. Now, I would like to go a bit more specific when it comes to sustainability and talk about the UN SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, and uh, ask you which SDGs do you think are most closely linked to your work when it comes to sustainable separation engineering, and how do you see your research contributing to these goals? Yeah, there is uh, in total there are seventeen sustainability goals. Uh, yeah, there is five of them I picked as the ones that are really relevant for me. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, all of them are relevant for us as human beings in our life. But um, uh, things like poverty, I cannot directly change with my uh, separation research. Yeah? So I focus on uh, clean water. Uh, that is an important one, and affordable and clean energy, mm-hmm. um, in industry innovation and infrastructure. That is an important one. And then uh, sustainable cities and communities. And the last one is a responsible consumption and, and production. And I think number six, the, the clean water, and number 12, the responsible production, those are the ones that are by far um, most often addressed in the research that I conduct. Thank you. Wonderful. And now it's time that we start talking about your <laughs> research. So tell us about research in uh, sustainable separation engineering and perhaps some innovative technologies that you are working on to make this separation process more sustainable. So where does sustainability come into the play? Yeah, so I I already mentioned uh, by by the pre-last question, um, when I was a PC student, I I was already working on biodiesel and and on Mm -hmm. uh, renewable energy um, at that time, maybe a big driver was uh, was economy, was was uh, market value, and um, if you would be more sustainable, uh, um, at that time we just saw it as using less energy and reducing the the energy bill, and that is a, a key aspect. Um, if we look at what is the impact for the environment, and the total amount of energy that is used by separation processes around the world is fifteen percent. So there is, if you if you account for all the distillation columns all over the world, this is a huge impact. And if we can reduce one major separation technology uh, impact by let's say five or ten percent, uh, as a relatively moderate improvement, you can imagine that's already going to have a huge impact on the total. Now. Towards 2050, we don't want five or ten percent differences. <laughs> so we right. we want a huge uh, improvement. So we we need uh, not only to have, let's say, uh, incremental improvements, but we need to have a, a total um, change in uh, the order of magnitude of things that we are doing. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be difficult. But but there are uh, key steps that I consider important. 
Uh, one of them is maybe you, you don't want to do all the, the separations that we do nowadays. Uh, you can replace them for newer technologies. And um, I mentioned distillations, that those are the benchmark. And often what I try to do is replace a distillation for an affinity separation. And an affinity separation is a separation that I, that I consider uh, a separation where there is a solvent involved or a sorbent. Um, that's a chemical that binds to the chemical that you want to separate out of a mixture. So if you have a mixture of multiple compounds, then one of the compounds is, is attracted more than the others. And by the use of such a solvent, you could initiate a separation. But typically, what is, what is important is that um, if you use a solvent, you end up with your molecule that you wanted to have is present in a solvent. So the next step is that to, in order to get it out of the solvent, you need, usually in traditional industry, again, do a distillation. And um, while we can replace the, the original distillation with a more efficient one, during the regeneration, we can make energy improvements. But what we are nowadays more and more looking into it is into smart separations where we use a solvent or a sorbent that can actually change the properties um, under influence of a stimulus. And by doing that, we generate a solvent that is maybe ideal for the regeneration. Because the whole point is that if I, if I make a solvent that is ideal for my extraction, then it's typically not ideal for the regeneration. Because the better it extracts molecules and, and keeps them bound, the more energy it will cost to regenerate that solvent. So I have basically um, two driving forces. One is the driving force for my primary separation, and one is the, the regeneration of that agent. And if I don't use a smart separation, I cannot make them both optimal. And by, by using a smart separation, we hope that we can uh, change the dependency on let's say burning gas, mm -hmm. uh, as an energy source to do the regeneration. And maybe we can make a more uh, green source of energy, uh, for example, green electricity as input for such a regeneration process. And, and that is driving uh, the, the current research a lot. Uh, yeah, I, I can understand how this really could make a huge impact, like just making these small, small changes into the process itself. Yeah, I think I think it's it's uh, very technical, obviously very practical, but also you can see your impact right away, and it's it's probably also very complex. I can understand. So next off, I would like There's to maybe one yes, thing to please. add to that. Uh, typically, um, if it's simple and uh, and if it's low hanging fruit, uh, uh -huh. then then companies will never come to the university, right? We are not solving their very easy challenges. Point. Very good <laughs> <Yeah>. point. <laughs> All right, so let's discuss how these innovations that you just uh, you just told me about could contribute to achieving, let's say, SDG 12, and how could you measure, let's say, the the impact of these. So the impact of, let's say, um, implementing uh, green electricity in these processes or uh, innovations like the small separation, and uh, yeah, what what else or what other specific steps do we need to take to improve sustainability in let's say in the chemical industry 
Yeah, I think one one aspect that is uh, overlooked a bit is how much industries often themselves are already doing. Mm -hmm. And the, the the problem with developing chemical processes is that it it takes typically around twenty years. Uh, when you come with a new ID, yeah, one example is a very nice one is the use of ionic liquids. These are liquids, liquid salts. So basically, they they are a salt. But um, their structure is so complex, the molecules or the ions, I should say, they are so complex that it's not easy to, to crystallize. And so they, they still uh, are liquid at room temperature. And in the early 2000s, uh, they were really being hyped and a lot of science was done, but it took a long time before they found their way into industry. And now, two years ago, at the oil company Chevron, they implemented uh, new ionic liquid technology uh, to replace um, an HF-based plant. And HF, hydrofluoric acid, is, is one of the most dangerous acids there is. Uh, it's it's uh, neurotoxic. And if you don't need it, you don't want it in your plant. And uh, But for a long time, this was really uh, the state of the art. Mm -hmm. And it took them basically 20 years to come from the ID to implementation on the full scale. And what we see, uh, we, we talked e earlier about 2011, uh, me coming to Twente. Um, what is the time frame? In, in the earliest days, any invention that I, I would have done at that time, uh, when would you expect to see it on a full scale? Uh, it's probably not before 2025, right? Mm -hmm. And so it is very difficult to say to what extent is something already, let's say, on an industrial scale possible. Uh, that, that is one thing. Um, and I think a key step here is that always, if we do an invention here, um, I usually work with companies so we work in a public-private partnership where a company typically funds with cash and mm -hmm. university funds with in-kind. So that means that, that I give my hours to the project and, and the company gives cash so then we can hire a PZ student to do the research. And we always organize these kind of projects in a way that um, it is fundamental science. Um, I don't want to be a consultant of industry. Right? So it's very mm -hmm. important that it is fundamental science that the society can benefit from, but that there is a direct link to applications in those industries. And so by organizing the research in such a way, it is possible to, to let new ideas and new concepts directly land at the parties that can also do something with it later on. Because what we don't want to do is invent something and then put it that it is left over somewhere yeah. in the shelf in our academic ivory tower. Mm -hmm. and it should really land in, in the industries. And by doing these PPP things, I think that helps. Yeah, and even this takes a lot of time, I, I, I believe, even if you have like partners yeah, right next door. Yeah, the good thing is, and you know that your ID is landing in the right place, mm -hmm. uh, but then after it has landed, and they need to take several steps. Yeah? Because typically, if you have a, uh, something that works on a laboratory scale, and you want to build a factory, what people do is they first make a, pi uh, a pilot plant and then maybe a demo plant and then the full scale. And in every step in, in industry, maybe they face problems on the demo scale mm -hmm. that I could have never foreseen on the laboratory scale. And, and that's yeah. simply how, how life works. And 
um, that is also a little bit a hurdle, not a little bit, a, a big hurdle, if you consider the timescale that people want us to make changes. Yeah, we, uh, we cannot change uh, and say, well, next year we're not going to use oil anymore. Right, and uh, because what are we going to do then? Uh, we're not ready for mm. the total change in such a short time. Yeah, for the alternatives. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Maybe then uh, it's a fairly good question to ask. Um, how do you think the concept of then sustainability and circular economy will become important in the chemical industry? Let's say in the coming years, and what's your role to play in this shift? And there is um, an increasing awareness. Uh, of the, the trouble that is ongoing. Um, and in the Netherlands, you may be aware of the, uh, the nitrogen problem, as we tend to call it. Uh, yeah. but, and this is just one aspect. And there is an, another problem that is arising in, uh, f for example, in the south, uh, in the Westerschelde, they, um, they face uh, quite dramatically high concentrations of PFAS. Um, but it's actually not only there in, the, in, in this waterway, that is directly related to a chemical industry um, uh, that is located close to the waterway, mm -hmm. uh, but also in other places there um, there, there are. And so uh, we are in that case uh, in um, seeing the chemicals that come from over the border from, from Belgium, but we see throughout our society that we end up with PFAS that's not being reduced and it's, it's a fairly sustainable chemical in that sense that it, it, it doesn't break down. Yeah? Uh, and you don't want that. Mm -hmm. um, so what we need to do is, is find a solution for cleaning up this PFAS. And we have nitrogen, we have PFAS, we, we, we have other things as well. And we see now more and more Actually, our technological development allows us to do much more accurate analysis. And so we are more and more aware of what is in our environment. And um, maybe things that are starting to get there in the 1950s, 1960s, at that time nobody was aware of them because they could also not be measured. And we see a tremendous growth over the past 25 years um, in the accuracy of, of our analysis and also in the awareness of the people that what is in maybe our surface waters and in our environment is not per se uh, below health risking uh, limits. And so we, we see that especially chemical industries, they know that if there is a PFAS problem around their corner, yeah, for example, if you are a company that uses surface water in order to cool your equipment, but at the time that you discharge the surface water again, and you have to show to the government what is in there, and there is PFAS in there, and then all of a sudden you are the owner of the problem. right? Yeah. Whereas maybe you are not even the company that put this PFAS in there. So that is where we see now that, that chemical industries in the Netherlands are extremely worried about um, uh, these kind of, let's say, um, limits to their um, permit to operate. And for that reason, they are very um, open to collaborate with us in developing separation technology that could, for example, get PFAS out of surface water. Mm. Yeah, or they, they to, feel it's their responsibility. Yes, yeah. or to, to, to come up with alternative routes. And one important thing is uh, we have a new project coming up that's just mm -hmm. granted that's called Reblox. 
and it is about renewable building blocks from from complex waste eh? mm -hmm. from complex and wet waste and where we try to to get let's say the outflow of uh, industries or from wastewater installations uh, or from just like here around the corner we have trends there is eew in the north of the mm -hmm. netherlands these are are, are uh, waste um, treatment installations What comes out of their uh, installation is not necessarily ready to be used as a as a feedstock in chemical industries. So we are developing processes that can transform waste into new building blocks. And what you see is that there typically what is important is you have a conversion step, like we talk about what is separation. And well, you have conversion, you have chemical reactions, and after the chemical reactions, you need to see what is in my mixture that comes out of the plant. And to send it to a next plant as feedstock, the feedstock need to have a certain composition. There mm -hmm. may not be impurities that are uh, are limiting operability or even legal limitations, like there is maybe too much chlorine in there. And how does chlorine end up in there? Well, maybe if you have waste treatment and there is some PVC that contains chlorine, that means that the outflow of your factory should somehow have reduced the chlorine concentration. So you need to get it out. Well, these are uh, challenges where we are currently facing. And uh, we do the research together with several smaller companies that have technology developed. So they can operate on this, the relatively small pilot scale. And we as a research institute at the University of Twente, we, uh, we analyze what is in the outflow of the technology And we come up with technical solutions in terms of separation technology, how mm -hmm. to get these molecules out. Yeah, I, to be honest, I really like this application of, or this perspective of a circular economy of, okay, looking at the byproducts, but it's, it's not obvious uh, how those byproducts can be applied. And if those byproducts are even ready to be applied, and then maybe the, like, you need the separation process to be able to create a circular economy. So... Uh, to me, it's really clear the essence or maybe the relevance of uh, separation engineering um, for circular economy. One doesn't go without the other, yeah, especially yeah. when it comes to chemical industry. Because, yeah, we talk a lot about uh, supply chains, like in our previous um, podcast as well. Uh, we talk about um, the food industry because there, there it's maybe somewhat easier to make circular economy. But when it comes to chemical industry, where you have a lot of solvents, as you say, and a lot of unsustainable materials, how do you manage to get circular economy? And I think you gave us a very insightful and interesting answer. So we talked, uh, we talked a lot about applications. So you already answered quite a few of my questions as well. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to maybe turn a bit back now to academica and, and education. And uh, let's talk about our university. So in your experience, how do you think universities could uh, best support these efforts to achieve SDGs? And um, what role does teaching, your, your teaching play in this regard? Yeah, well, I, I said one of the first answers included the statement about money, money, and money. Mm -hmm. uh, and in my opinion, uh, it's very important that uh, what I teach in the master course on, on separations is that the most important focus should be on the amount of energy that you use in the first place. And then, because that is also a measure of the CO2 emission. So instead of putting the full focus on, on your uh, total annual income, 
Mm-hmm. Then put a focus on how sustainable can your process be. And that is, I, I think, a, a different perspective. And coming back to the previous answer where I, I answered on, uh, let's say, the license to operate, I think in the future, more and more for companies, um, a limiting license to operate is a serious threat. And that means that also for them, uh, CO2 emissions and other emissions, nitrogen emissions and, and um, uh, maybe heavy metals, is going to be very important. And, and that means that um, the tools that our engineers that graduate here have are really important for working in these companies. So that is the reason why I put so much uh, emphasis on uh, emissions and how to reduce that and how to, let's say, operate at the, at the least energy required. Okay, I, I, yeah, I, I see how you try to integrate emission, uh, emissions, maybe SDGs and sustainability in teaching, but how do you make sure that these SDGs are also reflected, integrated and respected by the partners or companies that you're working with? I mean, I understand their um, motivation also to you know, work, work on such projects with you, but how do you make sure that they actually yeah, satisfy or look up to those SDGs on which you're also trying to work on? It's very difficult, um, and I'm not sure if if I can. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, if um, if if it's out of control, uh, it's not anymore part of a research project. Then, um, yeah, I'm I'm not a regulator in that sense. I'm not a lawmaker. Mm-hmm. I can say, well, you have to do this, and otherwise, uh, uh, there's just one one small aspect maybe which could have a big impact that is um, uh, the contracts that we have as a university with companies there is explicitly and if we file a patent mm-hmm. the companies have the right to take that patent but there is an anti-shelving uh, rule in there so this means that if the company is taking over a patent from the university then um, they are not allowed to put it on the shelf with the simple uh, goal of preventing others to use the technology yeah, because that's something what you could do of course uh, and and I think that is one one rule that we have and um, I have had already a few patents that that have been filed and where we should look basically what is what is going to happen with the patent is a is the company active but it's it's not so easy actually to maintain the contact and to to stay really focused on what are you doing with such a patent it's also not my role right yeah. so um i i think there um we should not um let's say over aim to overreach interesting interesting yeah i think this kind of summarizes let's say the top practical steps that you could take uh, also to improve their sort of industry sustainability practices as academia as well. Now, there is a question that I, I also believe you are so eager to answer, and that's <laughs> about what are some of the misconceptions that people have when it comes to your field that you're conducting research in, so the uh, sustainable separation process engineering. Yeah, I mentioned the circular economy already. Mm-hmm. And one very important aspect in, in that sense is biorefinery. I want to use um, plants as a source to make products. Because I, I believe if you use a plant as a source, then it has already taken up the CO2 from the atmosphere 
And in contrary to uh, drilling oil and, and uh, at the end of the life of a product, just burn uh, the product um, in, in a waste incinerator, you are transforming carbon from, from deep under the soil into CO2 in the atmosphere. By doing it with plants, you have a circular system, you have a circular economy in, in that sense. Uh, but I see in the last few years a lot of resistance against biomass. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, sometimes I get the feeling that for many people in the Netherlands, they believe that biomass is a bad thing. And I, I think it's not. I do agree that it's not good to basically cut whole forests in Northern America and maybe in, um, in Scandinavia, ship those forests to the Netherlands to burn them in, in, uh, in a power plant. And so that, that is not a good application of biomass. Uh, but if we consider that only 10% of all the oil that we currently use is used to make chemicals, that would mean that if you transform your your market for for materials based on biomass and you accept that for energy applications, you would have to use other things like um, uh, wind energy, solar energy, uh, then the burden that you put on the climate, uh, let's say on biodiversity related aspects is way smaller so you are allowed if you limit application of biomass in that sense you are allowed or you are able to uh, to make a bio-based economy uh, without harming the environment in the second thing that i uh, that is even more recent i see there is a lot of opposition against fossil industries Mm-hmm. And I do agree that they have not acted properly over the past 30 years or 50 years even, knowing already many decades ago that CO2 emissions are, um, are of importance for climate change. But putting them aside, cancelling them and not allowing them to participate in the challenge ahead of us, that would be a bad thing. Because it, these big companies, they have so much knowledge and they also have so much cash that if we exclude them from the game now onwards, we would lose maybe decades of time. And we don't have these decades of time. We want to change the world now. So I think my, uh, my call is to, to not exclude the big oil companies, but to look how can we help them uh, and together with them change our economy into a more sustainable one. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for answering these mi- misconceptions. I think it's very important that we we tackle these in this episode. Uh, perhaps a little follow up question, which is again difficult to answer, is um, uh, a follow up to this. So, how could you make sure that greenwashing is not happening when it comes to the the big oil companies? As you mentioned, in the last fifty years, they they may have and they haven't done enough uh, to to let's say satisfy and make sure that we we drive the shift to sustain sustainable change um how could you make sure that all the products i mean i mean you mentioned the contract as well maybe you, maybe you can help me summarize um how we can tackle this challenge this part of the challenge of let's say greenwashing yeah. well one of the things that you have to consider when when you are doing a research is is mm-hmm. how does that impact yeah i've had uh, companies willing to do a project with me for a relatively small amount of money and they wanted to, to show what is, uh, let's say, an LCA of a certain plastic kind of product. And at some point I realized they were not really interested at all in, the, in circular plastic, but they wanted to use the LCA to show that their, their plastic 
product was maybe more or less unsustainable than another mm-hmm, product. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I realized, no, this is not where I want to uh, to spend my time on. Right? But if you work on, on something where you believe in, um, in a biorefinery approach where you typically work with a company that is really driving forward, mm-hmm. then you also see that the people that are in that company are really willing to make the change. They are not willing to, to make a greenwashing step, but they really want to develop new technology. And also within the big companies that we are talking about, I see that there is uh, maybe some managers, they are not interested in anything but just money. Yeah, but the, the scientists that we collaborate with, they are often very keen on developing new green processes and, and, and they want to change the world also. So I think that is a key step. And then eventually, if it goes in the level where the company needs to make big decisions on, let's say, hundreds of millions of, of, of euros, yeah, there is nothing anymore what I as a, a scientist can do uh, in, in the field of greenwashing or uh, company decisions. That's up to them at that moment. But hopefully we plant the seed with with very cool new technology that can save energy, that can a- enable a, uh, a biorefinery or a circular uh, process. Mm-hmm. And then once it's up to the investment uh, decision, then hopefully the, the prospectus is good enough that they, that they make that step. Thank you very much. Uh, very nice insights. There is one last topic that I would like to talk to, uh, with you about, and that's you being a representative, and I want to underline a national representative of the chemical industries, sustainability, SDGs as well, and separation engineering. So could you tell us about your collaborations, your, um, let's say, chairmanship within organizations that are relevant to your field, relevant to driving the change as well? Yeah, yeah, one of them is um, the European Federation of Chemical Engineering, I'm, uh, I'm the secretary of the working party on fluid separations. So this is an organization where um, there are several working parties where specialists in that area, they, they are working together. So mm-hmm. in fluid separations, we have separation specialists from all over Europe. And uh, uh, it's a European federation. Um, so it's mostly Europeans, but we also have guests, uh, specialists from China and from the U.S., um, but for all our member associations, we uh, we have people, and together we talk about uh, what are the the chief developments in in terms of sustainability. Uh, can we organize ourselves in such a way that we can um, drive the sustainability agenda forward? And in that sense, being part of that community where only a few people per uh, per nation are representing. And that is really, I I feel privileged to be part of that community and also to be able to bring in my ideas about sustainable separations there and together with my colleagues from all over Europe uh, to to put that on the agenda. Yeah, I'm I'm very happy happy to mention this and also honor your uh, participation as as a representative of our university and uh, and furthermore. Uh, I would like to mention that you were also a guest editor for a sustainability so Green and Sustainable Chemistry Journal. Um, you have organized multiple events, such as the NPS in 2014. You partici- uh, participated in uh, ISEC. Uh, could you tell us what that really means? 
Yeah, so Isaac is International Solvent Extraction Conference, mm-hmm. and, um, and this is this conference is, is held every three years. Uh, recently, it was a, a bit longer interval for the obvious reason, uh, but but uh, last year we had again an Isaac. And there you see that the solvent extraction community gathers together and then you have all the solvent specialists from all over the world uh, being together in such a conference. And these are events, and I think they are, they are very key for development because what I see is something totally new I didn't think of in maybe one of the presentations and then you, you are allowed to to think a bit about it uh, when you are traveling back home you can work out some ideas that you you gathered in such an event uh, at the same time having a plenary talk at such an event you can also tell the world about what we do in Twente yeah, and that mm-hmm. is that is really cool so it's really an honor um, in the past few years unfortunately we had many conferences online um, not being able to see each other and for some time we thought it could also be a sustainable solution and to, to travel less and to, to uh, just have online meetings. But I see it's really difficult because the interactions that you have with other people, the great ideas that you, you don't get uh, at, the, at your computer at home, uh, uh, the great ideas you get if you talk more with people and, and that is not, not possible in an online conference. So that is a little bit mm. uh, say a difficulty. And where you would have to think, okay, what? Um, how often do I go to an international conference? How many miles do I travel? And and what is the benefit? And mm-hmm. uh, but in in on average, I think that that going to such a conference brings more for the for the world than that you spent on kilos of CO two emitted. Yeah, it's an uh, it's another unsustainable guilty pleasure <laughs> we can say. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not only pleasure. I would yeah. say uh, I like going to conferences mm-hmm. and I, I love the interaction and to, and to create new ideas mm-hmm. um, but it's in essence it's also a, a critical part of my job and I think that this is maybe one of the parts where I'm, I'm good at um, is to, to come up with new innovative ideas that are out of the box but they are sometimes based on a presentation that I see I sometimes go to conference that is a little bit outside my core area. Mm-hmm. And I do that on purpose because then I can have maybe a technology transfer from that area into my field. And by that make a difference for the next decade of, of research in my group on what is going to be the subject. So I think that is an important one. It's not just a guilty pleasure, but it's a very yeah. important aspect of my work. Yeah, especially when you don't just put it on the shelf, but you bring the insight to students. And I think exactly. from what I heard, that's what you do. So, unfortunately, that was it for this time. I would like to ask you to give us a takeaway message after so much information and uh, so many interesting topics. It might be difficult, but um, perhaps we can put it in such a way that as a students, researchers, what should they take away from, from our little talk here when it comes to circle economy, when it comes to separation engineering, uh, when it comes to the chemical industry, perhaps the big oil companies? and uh, sustainability in general. Yes, so I think that what is key here is that uh, in our drive to make the world more sustainable and to, to come up with new innovative separation technology, at the same time that we are developing this technology, we are also developing the chemical engineers. 
Yeah, so our students are maybe the most important products that we have because eventually they will come and work in companies um, and they can make the difference inside the company. And I think the combination of educating new engineers with making really innovative new separation technology will help us in the next decades to transform our economy. Wonderful. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, thank you for all the insights and information that we could get out of this, this podcast episode. Uh, if people are interested, uh, we have um, podcast episodes on Circle Economy with Devrim Yazan. We have talked with uh, Pilar Ruiz about um, biorefineries as well and uh, bioliquids. Uh, so please, um, yeah, just just look through our episodes and uh, we'll stay in touch. Thank you very much, Bulo, for being here with yeah. us. Thank and, you very uh, much see for the invitation. Time.